Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans weekly news podcast where we discuss some of the biggest stories that transpired this week in the Iowa City area. I'm your host, Charlie Peckman, and I'm joined here alongside our executive producer, Andy Mitchell. It was a bustling week on the University of Iowa campus as a number of formerly top-tier 2020 presidential candidates dropped out of the race. Also, the Daily Iowan reported that the food service delivery app Grubhub added restaurants to the service without their permission. Whether you're joining us in the car or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, March 6th edition of On the Record. But before we get into those stories, today in the studio we have Kaylee Reese, a managing editor at the DI. She has been covering crime in courts for the past four years, and this week was at the Johnson County Courthouse for the trial of former Hillel House director David Weltman. Kaylee, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Charlie? I'm doing splendid. So can you talk a little bit about covering this case and some of the witnesses that were called for both the defense and the prosecution. Yeah, absolutely. So this case started Tuesday of this week with a full day of jury selection. Um, Managing editor Brooklyn Drazy was there for that. Um, And then on Wednesday, it started opening statements and witness testimony. Now, some of these witnesses were minors. um, And of course, we won't provide their names or identification in order to protect their privacy. Um, And there were also one of the minors, Parents also testified, as well as some expert witnesses about the nature of perpetrators um, and child sexual abuse victims. So how is covering this case different than covering previous cases, just in terms of having minors on the witness stand and not being able to disclose their names when writing these stories? I don't find it that much different personally, um, because even when I'm taking notes when covering these cases, I don't write any sort of identifying information and even in my notes when covering cases that have to do with minors just because I want to make extra sure I want to make sure that their identities are fully protected because not only is that a court-ordered sort of thing it's also just daily Iowan policy and the policy of most newspapers across the country I would imagine. So what is some of the background of the case? You know, why is David Weltman on trial? And as it's my understanding that the trial concluded today. Yes. Well, um, I reported that David Weltman was arrested and charged with um, second degree sexual abuse on August 29th of 2019. He was accused of sexually abusing a minor during Hebrew lessons, um, a nine year old boy during Hebrew lessons back in March or February of 2019. And the trial was delayed once, I believe. I don't remember what the original date is off the top of my head. Um, But after two days of testimony and an hour and a half of jury deliberation, the jury unanimously found Weltman guilty of second-degree sexual abuse. Um, He is now being held at the Johnson County Sheriff's Office until his sentencing on April 27th. And can you talk about some of the emotions that were in the courtroom for, you know, the duration of this trial, you know, especially something as severe as the sexual assault of a minor? I can imagine that there was some emotion there. Yeah, it was a very small courtroom that we heard this trial in, but it was also a very crowded courtroom. I wasn't 100 percent sure who was all, you know, made up the people watching, but there was, you know, when it's just when you have minors on the stand, it is a little bit more hesitant. Um, the judge 
and the lawyers definitely speak a little bit differently when those minors are on the stand, um, which can be very hard to watch as a reporter um, or as anybody really. So that just the sensitive nature of the case um, sort of made some of that audience um, <laughs> sort of made some of that audience a little bit more hesitant, I think, um, when watching. Definitely. And have you heard any kind of, you know, I, th I knew you mentioned before that the defense was stating that they didn't want certain witnesses on the stand from the state. So can you talk about their justification for that and how that played into the trial? Absolutely. There were several witnesses that the state wanted to call that the defense took issue with um, because they said that these witnesses would either perhaps show some bias to a jury or were irrelevant to the case. And in this case, the judge decided that most of the witnesses could stand to testify, which most of them did, except for Weltman's ex-girlfriend. She was supposed to testify about comments Weltman made to her back when they were dating a few years ago, where Weltman allegedly told her that he found himself attracted to 7- to 12-year-old boys and watched films featuring nude children. I um, remember reading that. Yeah, but um, the judge decided that this wasn't relevant to this particular case. So she did not testify during the trial, but all of the other witnesses that the defense tried to get thrown out of this trial, they all testified. Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for coming by to talk to us about this serious case. Yes, thank you for having me. Back in the On the Record studio, we have Julia Shanahan, the Ethics and Politics Initiative editor at The Daily Iowan. And she's here today to talk about some of the candidates who have dropped out of the 2020 presidential race as of this week. Julia, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming in. So this past week, there were a number of candidates who dropped out, among them Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bloomberg. And, you know, it seems as though the 2020 feel is really dwindling. So can you talk a little bit about why these candidates are choosing to drop out almost in a cluster? Yeah. So, you know, we had been following the candidates really closely for about a year so. Um, we did suspect that they were probably going to drop out after a lot of the early voting states went. Um, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Pete Buttigieg all did really well in the early voting states. But then as soon as you got to South Carolina, where it had a much broader voter base, you saw Pete Buttigieg drop pretty drastically. Same with Amy Klobuchar. So they probably thought it was in their campaign's best interest to drop out prior to Super Tuesday. And I think also with the moderate wing of Democrats banding together behind Joe Biden, um, one can speculate that they were trying to maybe slow Bernie Sanders. Um, Elizabeth Warren dropping out. Um, I don't think many were surprised about that. Uh, she dropped out after not having a very good showing on Super Tuesday. She lost her home state. She didn't win, um, didn't place first in any state. So so what have you heard from the voters that you and the Ethics and Politics Initiative team has talked to in terms of, you know, this kind of ideological dichotomy that's existing amongst the two main players that are left in the 2020 race, which is Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Yeah, so we, we're really lucky on the EPI team that we have the just a pool of first-time voters at our disposal being on the University of Iowa campus. Um, what I've heard from some students who are working with the, or were working with the Warren campaign are that a lot of Warren supporters didn't don't have Bernie as their second choice. I know a lot of people took to Twitter criticizing Elizabeth Warren for not dropping out earlier to endorse 
uh, Bernie, but a lot of people are questioning how much that even would have affected his campaign. Um, I know Warren supporters who had Joe Biden as their second choice. Um, but yeah, now with the dwindling field, we do see um, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders as the two front runners. And I forget, what was your question? Oh, hearing from voters. Yeah, I mean, being in Iowa City, there's definitely probably more enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders. He came in a close second to Elizabeth Warren in Johnson County and obviously won the popular vote in um, the state of Iowa. So I don't know. I think I think voters really just want at least Democrats just want a candidate who they feel will be able to unseat Donald Trump. And people have differing views as to whether or not Joe Biden or Bernie would be the best person to do that. So as more states continue to vote, both in primaries and in caucuses, you know, how do you think that local voters, both, you know, working for the Biden and Sanders campaign, in addition to the candidates who have already dropped out, how do you think they're kind of gauging the the national conversation that's happening around, like you said before, you know, the mission of the Democratic Party to see unseat Donald Trump? Yeah, so um, we'll start seeing some county conventions in Iowa and other Midwest states in March. Um, March 21st is when the Johnson County convention is. So it will be a question as to where the delegates for dropped candidates will go. Um, I know there's been a lot of efforts with the Biden campaign and with the Sanders campaign to move a lot of those um, supporters over to their base. So I think I think the Democratic Party is honestly pretty split down the middle between the moderate and um, the left wing. And that's just from my personal experience covering these candidates for the last year. Um, I think it will be really tough when it comes down to the conventions as to who is going to be awarded the most delegates. So I really think that we'll just have to wait and see what happens at these county and state conventions. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to continue to watch this unfold. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Back in the studio today, we have Eleanor Hildebrand, a news reporter who primarily covers UISG and the other governing bodies, the student side of the University of Iowa. Eleanor, this past week you wrote a story about how the food delivery app Grubhub (laughs) came under a little bit of fire for apparently adding restaurants to its app that did not have any idea they were included in that. So can you tell us how you came across this story and some of who who are some of the key players? Yeah, so there's a localized delivery service called Chomp, and one of them reached out to us, one of the people who works there, and founded the organization, and he told us that this was happening, especially with people and companies that were working with Chomp, and it's also kind of occurred through DoorDash and Postmates and a lot of other delivery services, but it was brand new for Grubhub. And certain restaurants in town do use Grubhub, like Airliner, but specifically Oasis, Falafel, Noto, Hamburgin, they were all added and they created pages on Grubhub for them without any permission or any conversation with co-owners or anyone who works for the company. And it kind of just came to be because drivers were showing up and asking for a Grubhub delivery and owners or managers would walk up and be like, we don't work with them, so we don't know what you're talking about. And it takes a significant amount of work to get these pages down, which a couple of these owners and restaurants found out about, which was kind of difficult for them when it came to making sure that their product and the way that it was getting to customers was the way that they wanted it to be. So from the restaurants that you spoke with, can you talk about the frustration that they were feeling when, you know, these drivers were coming up, 
coming in to uh, pick up orders that didn't exist? Yeah, so I spoke with someone who works at Hamburg Inn, and he told me specifically that Grubhub has actually reached out to him multiple times through email. And every single time he said, no, thank you. We actually already work with a delivery service, and we aren't going to work with Grubhub. We're sorry, but that's just not what we're going to do. And then they proceeded to, at least two different times, put up a page for Hamburg Inn, didn't tell them, and they, he had to go through many hoops just to take it down. Um, this has also happened to Oasis Falafel with DoorDash and Postmates, more recently Postmates, and then Grubhub, and their page hasn't been taken down um, before the story was published. It hadn't been taken down. And someone from Noto that I spoke with, he said that this happened and that they didn't really know what to do, and so they're still looking into getting those pages down. It was frustrating to them because they no longer have control over their product the second it leaves the restaurant when it comes to these drivers that they don't actually work with and they don't know how it's going to impact their customers, how it's going to impact the quality of their food. And a few people have called and asked questions about why there aren't sides or why there aren't certain aspects to their menu that they would be seeing if they were in person, and they don't really have any control over that. So were you able to get in contact with anyone from Grubhub to kind of maybe explain why this is happening in Iowa City? Yeah, so I spoke with a spokesperson over email, and she told me pretty much that this was something that a couple of other delivery services do use, and Grubhub was trying to even the playing field by offering their clientele the same restaurants in town as their competitors and just trying to see how that would best be done. And it wasn't their typical business model, but it is completely legal in the city and state of Iowa. And It sounds like coercion. <laughs> It, there isn't a law or an ordinance, but if the I spoke with someone from the city and she said if the people who were impacted by this really desired a change, they could contact people in the city, they could go to a city council meeting, explain that this is happening and that it's impacting their business, and ask for an ordinance or ask for some sort of law that would change this policy. But until that happens, it's completely legal. That is... Crazy. So, you know, moving forward, does this have the, you know, likelihood of impacting any other restaurants in the Iowa City area? It probably does. It's still affecting the approximately 90 restaurants who have either found out about this and haven't been able to take their pages down or people who just get added by Grubhub and don't know about it. And according to a couple of business owners in town, it does take a significant amount of steps. It can take multiple emails or lots of phone calls. And that can be anywhere from a customer service line, which is kind of difficult to navigate if you don't actually work with them directly, or a restaurant email or a restaurant uh, line of a restaurant phone number. So it is a little bit more difficult to get it down. But until every single page in the Iowa City area that doesn't have a contract with Grubhub is taken down, these businesses and these restaurants will still be impacted. So from the conversations you had with both Oasis Falafel and Hammergan, you know, is this something that they just had to kind of adjust to, you know, as they kind of came to the realization that their restaurant was on this website now? It's something that they seem to routinely have to deal with, especially when it came to smaller organizations like Order Up, which is no longer around, did this to both of those organizations previously. And the restaurants kind of have to just understand that it's happening. And until they decide to Google their restaurant or a driver comes in, they don't really know that this is happening. Or if they get contacted by Chomp, which they both happen to use, 
and they say, hey, Grubhub or DoorDash or Postmates or anyone else has you has a page for you, and we wanted to know if you're also allowing them to deliver and that kind of stuff. And if they aren't alerted by a member of the community or a customer or the internet, then they aren't really able to know about it. And the adjustment kind of just happens because sometimes drivers don't like tell them that they're from a certain app or a certain service. So it's just kind of how much the restaurants are let in on it happening. And if they aren't, then nothing really changes. Well, so it'll be interesting to see how this continues to move forward. Eleanor, I'd like to thank you for coming in. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Before we go, it's also important to mention that the State Board of Regents Thursday announced that it is canceling all university-sponsored international travel for faculty, staff, and students for 30 days effective immediately. This comes amidst fears of the coronavirus spreading to Iowa and includes countries outside the U.S. that are heavily impacted by the virus, including South Korea, China, and Italy. Our special thanks to Kaylee, Julia, and Eleanor for coming in and sharing their stories with us. Thank you again for joining us for this Friday, March 6th edition of On the Record. 